This message is from Grace Church, located in Frisco, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. Rob Tombrella is a pastor at Grace Church and the speaker on this message. We're in a series called Multiply, and uh, what we've been looking at chapter after chapter as we've met together is how the kingdom multiplies. And multiplication uh, is a lot, it's, it's fun, it's, it's a lot of fun, it's a big adventure, but it's also hard work, it's, it's difficult, it's not easy. And what we've seen is that the kingdom multiplies through weak and ordinary people, even through their failures and mistakes. And this is really good news for us. It's really good news that the Bible doesn't shield the reader away from failures and human weakness and difficulties and struggle and challenge and confusion at times, that the people in the story of the Bible are people like us, people that experience human difficulties just like you and me. So it's, it's good news that today we're here and we can relate to what the people in the Bible went through because if we're honest and transparent, you'd say, you know, I've got this issue. I've got this thing. I've got this failure in my life. I'm confused about this struggle, and I have no idea what to do with it. And I wonder sometimes, can God really change this? Can he change the situation? Can he change me? Can he get me through this? So we would go around the room, everybody would say, I've got that in my life, and I've got those things where I just wonder, can, can Jesus, if he's so powerful, can he redeem this in my life? So you could come in here, and you've got some big major things that headline those challenges for you. Or you know what? You could come in here and say, man, I don't even know how to put my arms around it. It's just this awkward thing. I know awkward. I feel like I'm the king of awkward. (laughs) If you know anything about me, I feel like I just walk into one awkward situation after another. Uh, Michelle and I were on a date a little while back, and we came upon this book called uh, Awkward Family Photos. Has anybody (laughs) seen this? I don't know where they got these pictures, but I, I almost can see myself in every one of these pictures, sadly. And now there's a whole series of awkward pet photos and all this other stuff. But I mean, it's just awkward. And that's really a, a picture of the family of God. I, I grew up singing in the Baptist church. I'm so glad I'm part of the family of God. I'm so glad I'm a part. And uh, when we step back and look at the family photo, it's awkward because we're all in it and we're all awkward and we've all got... Uh, serious issues as we approach um, knowing God together. So the question before us, can Jesus redeem all those things? And even those awkward things, can he redeem? And and I want us to look at Acts 15 and the beginning of Acts 16. So verses 36 to the end of chapter 15. Then we're going to look at the first 10 verses of uh, chapter 16 and see that he does redeem those awkward things and specifically our conflicts, our controversies, and confusion. Three three C's, because I'm I'm a preacher and I like to alliterate and I guess that's the right word for that. I like to make it easy on your note-taking abilities. Conflict, controversies, and confusions and Jesus redeems all of them. So let's pray and we'll get going. Lord, we ask that you would open up our eyes and open up our hearts to see what you'd have us to see here today. Lord, uh, eliminate any, any distraction, Lord, from what you would have us to see about you, about your glory, about your grace, about your love, 
about your redemption, about your desire to change us and to change things about our situations, Lord, your desire to bring clarity into our lives and your desire to submit everything to you and to your leadership and to your lordship, Lord. So, Lord, just help us to think the way we ought to think and to feel the way we ought to feel in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's look at the first thing that Jesus redeems in this story, and that's conflict. Let's look at verse 36 of chapter 15. It says, And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaimed the word of the Lord and see how they are. So it's important to know who's Paul and Barnabas. If you're brand new with us, these guys are people who got saved, came to know Jesus personally, and then went out and started planting churches together. And they planted Antioch together. And that's where they were last, that's where we last saw them last week in verse 35. Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch. They're teaching and they're preaching the word of the Lord. That means they're raising up people who already follow Jesus and helping them uh, follow him better and more faithfully. And they're preaching the gospel so that people would believe in Jesus. So they're doing both of those things together as they have been. They're linked. They're arm in arm. They're the dynamic duo. They're Batman and Robin. And everybody loves Paul and Barnabas in this situation. Verse 36, they say, let's go and return to all these places that we planted churches together and let's go see how they're doing. Let's see if they're holding fast to the word of Christ. Let's see if they're pushing out the heretics that are confusing the gospel. Let's see if they're loving one another like they ought to do. They're working through conflicts and difficulties. Let's see if they're reaching out to the lost, if they're taking advantage of the places that they live and they work and they play, and they're leveraging their opportunities to to win people to Christ. Let's see how they're doing. And in verse 37, we get conflict, conflict and disagreement. Look at what verse 37 says. Now Barnabas wanted to take with them John, called Mark. But Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. So we get a little window of what happened. There was a little bit of a disagreement here between Mark and Paul, and Mark deserted them. And now here, Barnabas, who is an encourager, wants to take Mark along with this next leg of the journey. Paul says, no way, man. Uh, He abandoned us last time. You remember, uh, Barnabas is like, no, I see something in him. Barnabas is always seeing something uh, special in individuals, just like Barnabas saw something special in Paul when he went after Paul and, and helped establish him in the ministry. Well, now Barnabas is doing the same thing with Mark. Paul, ironically, isn't seeing eye to eye with Barnabas on this. And we have conflict. Paul thought best not to take with them one who had withdrawn. Barnabas wanted to. So we've got two, two desires here, two different ideas floating out there about how to best make disciples and build up the churches, and they're not in agreement. And so what happens? Verse 39 says, there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended 
by the brothers to the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Cilicia and strengthened the churches. So here, it, it wasn't just a disagreement. Hey, man, disagreements are part of church life, right? I mean, we get that, but it was a sharp disagreement. They, they hit an impasse such that they made a, a mutual decision to separate from each other. And this is a sad occurrence. We're not supposed to read this and just celebrate up and down. I'm like, yes. You know, it's like Batman and Robin splitting up. I mean, this is what's happening here with these two that planted Antioch. How does Antioch feel about what's going on with this separation? Paul going with a team this direction. Barnabas going with a, a team another direction. And, uh, and desiring to spread the gospel. Well, look what happens when they make that decision. They went through Syria and Cilicia and good comes of it. They strengthened the churches and they actually multiplied their efforts by separating. Now, how are we to think about separation? How are we supposed to view this passage of Scripture personally? Well, I don't think we take this passage and then quickly insert it into any disagreements that we're presently experiencing and assume that we're supposed to separate at the first sign of conflict. No, that's not the case. These, these guys have walked together and done ministry together for years together. But they didn't always agree. And they didn't always agree about the best method, missiologically, to reach people. And so they disagreed at points. And so we should, in a long-suffering way, in a patient way, uh, work through conflicts and work through disagreements and Definitely don't take this passage out of context and slap it over, you know, any disagreement that you're having. It's just, well, let's just separate. No, that's, that's simply not the case. But here's what it can teach us. Is that unity does not equal uniformity. Gospel unity, especially theological unity, does not always equal that we totally agree and we're in lockstep on practice and on methodological, philosophical agreement. Their disagreement was on a leader they, you know, Paul wanted to bring one leader, Barnabas. Barnabas wanted to bring one leader. Paul said no. So it's, it's a methodological disagreement, not even a theological one. But it's appropriate to disagree at times. It's appropriate. It's appropriate to have an opinion. It's appropriate to have a different opinion than somebody that you love and you care deeply about. And you, you got to get good at that. You got to get good at knowing how to disagree well. Otherwise, you know, you make everything, like we talked about last week, you know, a 10, when it's just not a 10. It just doesn't need to rise to the level of, of massive conflict. You don't fight every hill. You don't go to war over every single issue. Uh, but it is appropriate to disagree. It's appropriate to share your opinion. It also teaches us that occasionally those disagreements can get sharp, and you can hit an impasse. That's just reality. It's reality in the business world. It's reality in the church world. Sometimes leaders hit an impasse. And I think we can learn something about Paul and Barnabas. They hit the impasse. They, they sharply disagree over something not gospel-related, just how to get the gospel out there related. And at some point in the conversation of they're trying to work out unity and work out the disagreements, 
they both felt it best that it would be wiser to make disciples separately than to not make any together. So we can stay together and we can keep trying to work through this issue that's distracting us from the Great Commission to go out and make disciples and rescue people and bring them into the kingdom. Or we can forego this conflict that we can't seem to work out and go different ways and go win people to Jesus. See, they must have had the eternal perspective that there's one thing you can't do for all of eternity in heaven, and that's lead lost people to Jesus. See, Paul and Barnabas, they're, they're arm in arm in heaven, and they know they're there right now that way, and they know they will be, but they know that life is short. They know eternity is long, and let's, let's not hamper the mission of the gospel. Let's not stop preaching the gospel. Let's keep going. There's drowning people everywhere. So let's not argue over the best way to throw the raft into the water. Let's just go. Let's just jump in where there is need. And I think that another thing it can teach us here is that growth comes through loss. As you track the story of Barnabas, as you track the story of Paul, they go their separate ways and they sacrifice a friendship. But in that sacrifice and in that loss, which is difficult, they missed each other. But in that sacrifice, other relationships grew out of it. Paul goes with his team, Barnabas goes with his team, and people are one to Christ and new leaders are raised up. That's the very next section. It, it left needs and holes and places for people to fill up and to serve in. And so because they were willing to sacrifice the temporary nature of a relationship, they were able to gain eternal relationships. Now, all of this requires an eternal perspective as we think about our relationships because we can hold on too tightly where God is saying or circumstantially allowing for a separation and we need to think, gosh, this is temporary. And eternity is really, really long and he can redeem even this really awkward conflict. A, a, a side note to this is that the, whatever issue it is with Mark and, and uh, Paul, it all gets worked out at the end. So in 2 Timothy, Paul's last letter, he ends his letter saying, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you for he is very useful for me in ministry. So he's, he comes full circle about Mark. Mark becomes you know, an ally. Mark becomes the guy that... that uh, Paul leans on later on in his, in his ministry. And that's just how uh, relationships in the kingdom go. So you might be struggling right now because you've got a conflict with somebody that you dearly love and you've just hit an impasse and you can't seem to work through it. And it's just hanging out there and you're just wondering, can God fix this? Can God redeem this? And I just want to communicate just as you read this story, yes, he can. He can redeem that. And that chapter is not over. That story is not done, and that relationship is not over. So have faith and believe and pray. God is a redeemer of, of even the most awkward relational conflicts. Well, they go about strengthening the churches, and look what else Jesus is after redeeming, and that's controversy. It's controversy. Look at the first five verses of chapter 16. It says, Paul came also to Derby and to Lystra, and a disciple was there named Timothy, 
the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. It's very important detail that Luke, who's writing this, is including to note that there were two classes of people that Timothy is in a family of. Gentile, Jew. And what we've, you've seen as we study through Acts is that these were two very different cultures. And the gospel is moving forward through Jewish people to Gentile people. And so here Paul is in Lystra and he comes upon a believer named Timothy And it says in verse 2, he was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. So it's little wonder in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him and took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places. For they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul sees a leadership ability. He sees stature in Timothy. He says, Timothy... You got something, Lord's anointing you, God's with you, and I would like you to be in my team, Timothy. And Timothy has a choice to make here. In accompanying Paul, Paul's invitation is also that as a young man, Timothy would be circumcised in order to join up and to be useful and effective, Paul suggests that he go all the way with his Jewish heritage and be circumcised because he wasn't. Now, this is controversial. Paul is asking Timothy to do what they are literally going about proclaiming for people not to do. Everybody get that? They have just received, you know, the counsel of all the elders in chapter 15, and the decision was, listen up, non-Jewish Christians do not need to be circumcised to be saved. The Jewish Christians were saying, no, you've got to. It's Jesus plus you need to be circumcised, and then you're saved and in a right relationship with God. they, They meet, they talk about it. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ lived and died for you and rose for you. That anybody who puts their faith in Jesus, apart from circumcision and the ceremonial laws and keeping the Sabbath and all of that stuff, is saved and in a reconciled relationship with God through a relationship with Jesus alone by faith. By faith. Simply trusting in Jesus gets you there. It's not Jesus plus all these ceremonial laws. And so they've just reiterated that, and now they're going out into the Jewish communities communicating that. And in the midst of it, Paul says, Timothy, here's a good idea. In order to best communicate this gospel to that crowd that you have an opportunity to speak into, get circumcised. Get circumcised so that you can tell those people they don't need to be circumcised. And this is difficult. It's difficult to kind of wrap your mind around. How are we supposed to think about him allowing and pursuing Timothy and asking him to do this? Well, I think it's helpful to think about it this way. Whatever helps point people to Jesus in Paul's mind and writing is a friend. So if it helps point people to Jesus and his finished work, it can be leveraged as a friend. 
in this case, circumcision. But whatever replaces Jesus, whatever replaces the gospel, is an enemy. So in, in this case, circumcision is a friend. It's a friend to Timothy. It opens doors in order to proclaim the free grace of Jesus. But in other places of Scripture, it's an enemy, and Paul cannot attack it more fiercely. So in Galatians, he says to the person who looks to circumcision instead of Jesus, he says this, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit to it. I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he's obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law, you have fallen away from grace. He says, you were running well. Who hindered you? In other words, these Judaizers have come in and said, you know, Jesus is great, but you also need to be circumcised. No, that's a, that's leaven that's going to leaven the whole lump. He says, if I, brother, still preach circumcision in order to be saved, why am I being persecuted? He says, I wish those who unsettle you would emasculate themselves. Whoa, that means exactly what you think it means. I mean, that's why the Bible is PG-13, okay? At least Paul could not be clearer. If you're looking to circumcision and good works in order to reconcile you to God, it's an enemy and it's to be attacked. However, he is willing to risk controversy in love and to the person who would more effectively point people to Jesus because of circumcision. He says this in Philippians. For though I am free from all, I have made myself a servant to all that I might win more of them. To the Jews, I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those under the law, I became as one under the law, though not being myself under the law, that I might win those under the law. To those outside the law, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. So he says, to the weak, I've become weak, that I might win the weak. And I have become all things to all people, that by all means, I might save some. That's his heart. And that's Timothy's heart. So Paul's like, whatever it takes to get the gospel message out there. And sometimes you got to risk being misunderstood in order to do that. So think about it. Timothy is willing to be circumcised as a young adult to more effectively tell people about Jesus. Now that's contextualization. Contextualization isn't wearing a bunch of cool pearl snap button shirts and get a cool tattoo and then you're contextualizing into your culture. Look at Timothy who is willing to do whatever it takes at great pain to himself physically so that people can know Jesus. Contextualization just means to bring a message or an activity into a context. And for Timothy, it was a Jewish context. How am I going to get into that Jewish context? Go all the way in order to preach Jesus. So think about it this way. What may the Lord be calling me to do? To adjust, to more effectively communicate the unchanging gospel 
to a changing culture. So the culture's always changing around us. Neighbors come and go. People's thoughts about God and religion are always changing. But the gospel does not change. But we sometimes have to, even in controversy, adjust in order to communicate that unchanging gospel. Let me give you a controversial one that somebody asked at the bridge on Thursday night. At the bridge, we have a time for you to do, um, ask a question anonymously. And so one person texted in, how should a Christian respond if they are invited to a marriage ceremony of a gay couple? I mean, that is a great question. And one that whatever you choose, you are probably going to not please and possibly offend somebody in some circle on whatever decision that you make. And so just taking the principles of looking at Timothy and Paul and the gospel and Jesus and how he responded, I, 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 responded, I responded this way. I, I think I would be free to respond two different ways if I'm governed by love. And one way is to say, yes, I'm seeking to build relationship. I'm seeking to build trust. And where I can affirm that human desire for love and commitment, maybe my attending would allow for an opportunity to communicate how Jesus fulfills that. He's not the enemy of love and commitment and intimacy. He's the fulfillment of it. And moreover, potentially be able to communicate that Jesus heals sexual brokenness, even same-sex attraction. And I know because he's healing my sexual brokenness. And I know hundreds of people who he's healing in that area. So maybe it would be good to go. Maybe it'd be wise to go. But maybe after prayer, it wouldn't be helpful to go to it. In other words, maybe I've already established a relationship with this individual and I've communicated some, some of that. And we've had these conversations and maybe my attendance to them would be confusing as it relates to the gospel. And so maybe it wouldn't be wise to go. It'd be an issue of prayer and conscience and seeking the Lord. But whatever I'm doing, I'm to be governed by love. And the Bible says in Romans 14, whatever's not from faith is sin. In other words, I'm supposed to trust God in this decision and do whatever is the most loving thing I can possibly do, even if it risks my reputation. On either side, my reputation is on the line. And am I willing to do whatever it takes to best point people to Jesus? That's what Romans 14 is all about. For them, it was food. Uh, it was controversy surrounding food and, and them willing to walk through those controversies in love. That's, that's what separates Christianity from all the other religions. It's an ability to choose love and to be able to do that in a way that honors and pleases God. So what pain am I willing to endure that the people around me know Jesus? Well, let's see what happens. Paul and Timothy... Timothy is circumcised. He goes through with it. He goes all the way. And uh, verse 4 says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them the delivered for delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached 
by the apostles and the elders who were in Jerusalem. In other words, that decision that you don't need to be circumcised, that's their message. That's their communication. And and Timothy does that now newly circumcised. So very interesting. So verse 5 says, So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So God just blesses it. Now you want to talk about it's awkward controversy, and they step through it, and then God just blesses it and just says, there you go. You, you, you walked that fine line of just trusting me. It was difficult. You did it. And here, you know, I'm going to strengthen people through it and increase people's faith through it and increase disciples. And so because Timothy's willing to do that, people are saved. Jews come into the kingdom. They believe in Jesus. Because he was willing to be circumcised, circumcised people who were preaching that said, oh, Jesus is enough. And, and it worked. At a real pragmatic level, at a real human level, it worked out. So he can redeem those, those controversies, and sometimes we just need to walk through them. Let's look at the last section here, verses 6 through 10, and that's confusion. Can Jesus redeem confusion? When I just can't see right, and I can't fathom what he's doing with this issue or this situation in my life. Can, can he help me? Can he work through it? Well, look at what happens in verse 6. And they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. So they're going up through Phrygia, through Galatia, and they hit a barrier. It could be an external barrier. It could be something that they're like, I don't understand why we can't, why the gospel's not being effective here. It just seems like we're hitting walls here. Or it could be something very subjective. The Spirit just not giving them a, a peace about where they are. And so they feel a, a forbiddenness of the Holy Spirit to speak the word. In verse 7, they journey on. And when they came, when they had come to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. So here they get to Mysia, and they think, this is a good idea. We prayed about it. Uh, Let's go for it. Let's go into Bithynia, and maybe that's where we're supposed to plant the next church and evangelize and see the gospel spread that way. And notice what happens. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them again. So, you know, right now, they could be very discouraged. Are we in the will of the Lord? How many of us in this situation would be like, am I, am I in the will of God in this situation? The Spirit's forbidden this, and the Spirit's forbidden this, and it's not fruitful, and we're in a dry and a weary land, and we don't know where we're going, and, and, uh, and they're just having to trust God step by step through this. And verse 8 says, So passing by Mysia, they went down to Tros. And Tros is a coastal city. Maybe they've got their hopes up for Tros. Maybe this is where we're supposed to plant and, and build here. Uh, it's not the most spectacular city, but Jesus loves all cities. And so maybe that's where they're supposed to be. And notice what happens in verse 9. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. That's, that's a window into what he means by help. When the Macedonian says help, 
He's not talking about make my life more comfortable. He's saying, help me know God. Help me know God. And so they conclude that we're supposed to go to Macedonia based on this vision and preach the gospel to them so they can know, they can know Jesus. So I just think there's, there's something to be gained here about this confusing journey. I mean, I think we, we want the thundering clarity and the specific call of God like they received at Tros of a Macedonian vision, come over here and help us. We want that. In, you pick your situation of your life. God, can you just thunder some simple clarity right into this situation and I'll follow you in it and I'll have the faith to follow you in it. And we can forget that even though he does do that sometimes, it often comes after the hundred mile journey to Tros. See, how do we know we're going to have faith to trust God when he gives that specific clarity of the Macedonian vision at Tros, if not for trusting God through Phrygia and Galatia and Bithynia and hitting roadblocks and just trusting him step by step by step by step, even through those painful moments until we do get to trust and we get that specific clarity. John Stott talks a, a lot about this, um, this in, in terms of guidance. Sometimes we're looking, Jesus, just give me some specific guidance. Well, he says there's certain things about this scenario that are helpful. For instance, God uses a period of time for, for Paul and the companions. It, it takes a while before they journey off into Macedonia. By the way, that's Europe. That's crossing water. Where they are, they're at the coastal city. They're going to jump over now into Macedonia. It's a big decision, but it's come after a period of time, of, um, of, a, of a long period of time. And sometimes we just want to rush through that. I want to get out of this long period of time. I want to just hurry up and get that vision And you just can't short-circuit it. You can't rush it. You can't do anything prematurely. It is a walk. That's what it means. It's sometimes a long walk in the same direction called Christianity. It's following Jesus step by step, even over periods of time. He also mentioned that there were circumstances of open and closed doors. So consider the period of time. Consider that some doors were closing and now other doors are opening. It also took them considering what was taking place. So Paul and his companions, they're praying through this whole process. They're considering, Lord, what are you up to? We're available. We're open. Lord, show us. Show me. Willing to stay here. Willing to go up into Bithynia. Willing to cross over into Macedonia. Whatever you want us to do. And all along, they're seeking response and input from others. Those four things are helpful in terms of seeking in seeking guidance. And when we do that, God in his mercy sometimes comes crashing in with specific clarity. Go this way. Come over here and help us. But specific clarity came after they walked the path of general obedience. That happens over and over again in the book of Acts. So we can get kind of uh, mystified by these moments where an angel or the Lord's voice speaks something very specific and guides them. And we can think that's exactly how God guides in every situation. 
and forget the fact that that often came almost every time by them just generally obeying God and what he's told them to do, and then specific clarity comes. So, I mean, real, real, real practically, I mean, sometimes we just park the car and we just say, God, put the key in the ignition, start it up, and put your foot on the gas, and you steer the wheel. It, Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs> Literally. We mock the song, but we live the life. Jesus, take the wheel, and, uh, and then I'll follow you, and I'll trust you in that. Rather than, you know, we got to get the car moving and let him, let him steer it along the way. I don't know how to get that Jesus take the wheel out of my head now. So, uh, The Macedonian vision comes after the difficult miles to Tros. And some of you are in those miles to Tros. You're, you're in that mile. You've hit a roadblock. You've hit another roadblock. You, you want to trust that there's a Macedonian vision. There's some specific clarity coming down the road in this issue of your life, but the Lord's only giving you a little bit of light to walk in, and you got to walk it. You, you can't bounce out of it. You just got to walk in the light that He gives you and take the next step and trust Him for the next step and just trust. I go three steps in, and He's going to provide light for the next three steps. He's going to provide light. Has He ever not provided light for the next three steps in your life? Maybe the next one step in your life? He's never failed to come through. And sometimes he gives a blazing light for the next 20 steps. And he gives you that Macedonian call and a very clear call in that direction. But you know, it takes just as much faith to walk those small steps of unglamorous obedience as it does to take that big adventurous step of Macedonian faith. And you know what I'm talking about if you've lived that. And you've walked that. I mean, the Lord said to Abram, you remember in Genesis 12, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And that symbolizes both of these. He got a clear call, go, not knowing where he was going to go. And he just had to trust that the Lord was going to meet him along the way and tell him exactly where to go. Hebrews 11 says there's one thing about this whole journey of following Jesus and following his lead that honors him, and it's faith. It's faith. Faith for the big and faith for the small. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. There is a holy ignorance that the Lord allows for each one of us as we follow him so that we will exercise faith, so that he is glorified in it and through it. And if he showed us all the steps along the road, it would require little if no faith. I don't know what your not knowing is. I don't know what the exact issue right now that you know God is calling me down this difficult path here. And he's, he's given me a little bit of light. And he's asking me to have faith to follow him while I'm waiting on further clarity. Or maybe 
God has clearly told you what to do. (laughs) And what do you need? You need the same thing you needed before. Faith. You need God to give you faith to take the next step. It is a step, whether it's big or whether it's small. So you might be here today and you're like, I don't know what to do about this. I don't, I don't know what to do about this. I don't know where to ask for help. I don't know where to turn. I don't know who to turn to. I don't know what I don't know. Anybody here like that? I don't even know what I don't know. I just know I got an issue and I got confusion. I know that. I, I got confusion. I know I'm supposed to pray or something like that. I know I'm supposed to lean in on God. I, I, I know a few things, but I don't have a lot, of, a lot of clarity. Well, I think we can just look at, at Paul and his companions and say, uh, you need to walk in the light that he's given you, and he will provide clarity as we go. Proverbs 16.9 says, the heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. Can you look back on your life and say, I mean, I planned it this way. And God is honored by our plans, by the way. But then it, go, it went this way. I, went, I planned it this way. And man, it went this way. And then it went this way. And then it went this way. And then you can look back and say, you know what? The Lord established my steps through it all. And I think that's the heritage that we all have. That's all a heritage that we can look back and say, because he has established my steps, I can step. Whether big or small, I can step because he has established my steps. I can plan because he is on the other side of that, whether that's at Tros or whether that's at Macedonia or whether that's the difficult journey through Phrygia and Galatia. Why don't you guys all stand with me and close in prayer. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit our website or write us at podcast at gracechurchfrisco.org.